Good morning. Merry Christmas to you and to your families. <clears throat> and I hope you know, uh, if not already, by the end of today, peace in your heart from the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to tell you uh, two Christmas stories. The first story is of a Christmas long ago when I was just a young boy. It, was, it happened over 50 years ago. I know you can't believe I'm that old, but I, over 50 years ago, this story took place. I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and that year, my parents decided to take the family to spend Christmas with my grandparents. Vancouver, as you may know, is on the mainland, the west coast of British Columbia, and across the Georgia Strait, which is about 45 miles, uh, is Vancouver Island. <clears throat> Vancouver Island is about three times the size of all of the Hawaiian Islands combined. So if you took all the land mass and put it all together, that's Vancouver Island, three times. My grandparents lived on Vancouver Island. They lived in a little town called Shimanus in about the middle of the island. And to get there, we had to take a ferry. We drove to the Horseshoe Bay Ferry Terminal and onto the ship with over 100, maybe 200 other vehicles that uh, drove onto the ship and to start our journey. Hundreds of passengers then climbed from the car deck up to the passenger lounge, and uh, we settled into the oversized lounge chairs for the trip across the Georgia Strait. Normally, the trip would take about two hours in those days. That, it's 45 miles, the boat you know, traveled fairly slow. And uh, as kids, to pass the time, we would often go out to the, um, to the outside of the, of the ship, and uh, we would walk along one of the boat decks and enjoy the sights outside to see if we could spot killer whales, because oftentimes, uh, through that passage of water, uh, we would see orcas, and uh, they were a beautiful sight to see. But this trip was at night. And it was in the dead of winter. It was Christmas. It was cold and rainy and windy. And it was a night to enjoy the warmth of the inside of this 340-foot uh, long vessel. Well, the ferry engines roared to life, and we felt the shudder of the propellers engaging the sea, and our journey began. Soon we would be at granddad's place and grandma's home and sipping on hot chocolates and eating fresh pastries from my grandma's oven. I could smell it even as we got on board the ship. But somewhere in the Georgia Strait, a 30-foot yacht was making its way the other direction towards Horseshoe Bay. And there were three passengers on board who had set sail that weekend for a, a time of pleasure. I don't know if it was the weekend, but it was Christmas, so whatever time that was, they were out on a sail for a weekend of pleasure or for a week of pleasure. There were two men and a woman, and they had sailed this way before. They were familiar with the general area. Life was good for them. They seemed financially secure. After all, it's not everybody who owns a yacht 
and can set sail for the Christmas holiday. And the three friends were living for the moment. They didn't have a care in the world. But who could ever imagine what would take place that night and what would happen to them? They started their pleasure cruise earlier in the day, but it was now well past sunset, and the yacht was shrouded in darkness. In the dark, they couldn't see that storm clouds had shrouded uh, the night sky around them. And anyone who's ever been out on a ship at night, and especially on a dark, cloudy night, knows that there is no blackness like the blackness of the sea. And in the blackness, they lost their way. I don't know all the details of the story, even though I was there. I don't know what happened earlier in the day. I, don't, I, I just assume that the trio had not checked the weather report before getting on board that yacht that day when the meteorologist issued a small craft warning for the Georgia Strait. Then later in the day, they issued a gale warning as the storm increased. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but gale force winds are sustained surface winds of 40 to 50 miles an hour and giant waves that can reach 15 to 20 feet high. And they had ignored all the signs and all of the warnings earlier in the day, but now they were beginning to feel the sea's wrath. And their boat was no match for what was to come. As the storm swept into the Georgia Strait with high winds and towering waves, their vessel rose and fell in the turbulent waves. The howling wind and the frigid temperatures made it a miserable and dangerous place that Christmas long ago. We were very comfortable on the ferry. And as we pulled out of Horseshoe Bay, soon we made our U-turn around the points and passed Bowen Island on our starboard side. And as we passed Bowen Island, we entered into the Georgia Strait, which is open sea. And we were heading west toward Vancouver Island. Yet even this steel-clad ferry, as long as a football field, began to rock and shudder in the winds and waves, and it strained and groaned against the tumultuous sea. I had been on the ferries before, every time we'd visit my grandparents, but I had never been on a ferry in a storm like that at sea. My sisters and I walked, so the lounge would be as pretty much as big as this room, and uh, as I walked around the ferry's front lounge, I looked out through the picture, their very large picture window, so you can see the view as you, as you sail. But that night, the view was as black as coal. The ship's front spotlights would reveal from time to time the sea spray as it splashed over the front, the bow of the ship. And the ferry pitched up and down and side to side, and I could hardly keep my balance. So I returned to my seat, and my mother, in her way of looking for a life lesson every time she could find one, as I sat down on my seat, she says, that's what it feels like to be a drunk. She says, that's what it feels like to be a drunken man. I never forgot that. It was not the best night to be out on the sea. 
especially for a ship one-tenth the size of the ferry. And the pleasure craft struggled to resist the titanic waves and, that crashed across her bow. And then the engine sputtered and died. And that's when things went terribly wrong. The boat drifted hopelessly in the stormy sea. And the carefree uh, trio of friends had uh, just, this had just turned into their worst nightmare. Although the yacht still had power for lights, the boat engine would not start. And the people on board the vessel sobered to the reality that they were in severe danger and were gripped for fear for their lives. The party was over. Their panic increased as waves swept over the boat and began to fill the bilge and the passenger compartment. They were going down, and for the first time they realized they could not save themselves. They needed a savior. They needed someone to deliver them. It was at that very moment, far in the distance, that those who were in darkness saw a great light. The fairy's spotlight pierced the night as it moved toward them. There was hope, that is, if the fairy kept going their way. There was hope if the, if the captain could spot them in their distress. There was hope if someone could rescue them from their distress. And to their amazement, the fairy kept coming towards them. And the crew saw them in their distress. And the captain had compassion for them and stopped the ferry to rescue them from certain death. And the trio got out on, on the deck of their uh, yacht and cried out in their distress, Help! Help! Save us! And they were heard over the howling wind. And as we reached the boat, there was a commotion on board the ferry as passengers realized the ferry was slowing down and stopping. And they looked out and they could see the light of that ship and they saw that it was close uh, to the waves and that, that it, was in, in, uh, it was sinking. And so uh, some of the passengers rushed out to the windswept deck to see the action. I got up and I stood next to the door to see what I could see. Ship officers and stewards ran to the life-saving equipment to see if they could use it to reach them, but it was hopeless to lower lifeboats in a sea like that. So they tossed lifesavers, lifebuoys, you know those big round things with ropes on them? They tossed lifebuoys toward the boat, but they couldn't reach them. The rope wasn't far enough. They couldn't reach the sinking ship. Now, although maritime law requires vessels to be equipped with lifebuoys, they were not within the range of the sinking ship, and so the people could not be saved that way. About this time, the ICC was opening its mouth to swallow the yacht, and the crashing waves were intense. And the passengers, <laughs> looking down at them, looked over, and uh, they started shouting, Jump! Jump! Abandon ship! Jump! They had no choice. And the three people on board grabbed air mattresses to cling to as they jumped into the sea. And they stood at the highest point of their boat, waiting for the last moment before the ship went under uh, to jump into the frigid water. 
At this point, the ferry turned and turned the end of the, the ship, the bow of the ship actually, to, to face them. And it opened the massive uh, car deck doors so that they could be closer to the water to reach the people as they uh, began to swim towards the boat. And the giant searchlights of the ferry turned so that uh, the hor- we could see the horror that was unfolding before us. Three people were about to perish at sea unless someone could rescue them. They needed a Savior, and they needed Him now. One can only imagine the fear in their heart as the yacht slipped beneath the waves and they threw themselves into the grip of the sea. The winds and waves quickly snatched the air mattresses from the two men. The woman clung to hers. Could the air mattress save her from drowning? Stewards at the uh, uh, car deck, now closer to the ship, began to throw lifebuoys from that level to see if they could reach the people that were now in the, in the ocean. But the wind, every time they threw them, the wind caught the lifebuoy and, th- and threw it back. And so it was hopeless. If only someone could reach them, if only someone could go out and save them, because it was impossible for them to save themselves. If only there were a Savior to rescue them. But who would risk their own life to save three people in an icy, frigid ocean? On board the ferry that night was a passenger who watched the drama unfold. And as he looked at the three in the water, he heard their cries of distress. And his heart was moved with compassion for them. He was a tall, muscular man, who had been quite comfortable sitting in the lounge with all the other passengers. He blended in among them all. But at that moment, he left the comfort of the lounge. He emptied his pockets. He took off his belt. He took off his shoes, anything that would weigh him down. And he ran down the stairs to the flight of stairs to the car deck. And he sprinted the length of the car deck to the open doors. And he threw himself into the ocean uh, waters. He first swam to the two struggling men, and remarkably, they refused his help. I don't know what they said. I couldn't hear it. But to see the action was to see that they were saying no. They rejected their rescuer, and they tried to save themselves, but they were without strength. And that night, their souls were required of them, and they perished at sea. The rescuer swam to the lone woman who was about to drown, and he told her to let go of the air mattress and to trust him to save her. What would you do? What would you do? She believed him, and she abandoned all hope of saving herself. And we watched as she released the air mattress, and he grabbed her in his arm and would not let her go. She trusted him, and he pulled her to safety. He was her savior. And that is the first story of a Christmas long ago.
As I think of the story, I think of the events, the story is like a parable. It's like an allegory. It's a true earthly story. It happened with a heavenly meaning, and we want to look at that this morning. And The second story I want to look at is about another Christmas long ago, and it's the story of the very first Christmas when Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, just as the prophet said he would be. And it is a story of an even more incredible rescue, and it's a story that involves you and involves me. The story begins some time ago. I'm not exactly sure when it begins because I don't know your age. But the story begins when you were born into this world, your story. And all through your life, the Bible tells us that God gives, he gives you life, breath, and all things. You have enjoyed the sun and the rain, food, shelter, and clothing from his hand. The Bible says, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Your health, strength, jobs, family, and life itself are all gifts from a kind and loving God who watches over you and cares for you. And that's the first thing that you must know in this story. God loves you. So at some point you set sail in your life's journey and you've made it this far. This is how far you've come. God has sustained you, for his mercy is new every morning, the Bible tells us. And God gave you, when you were first born, God gave you a number of days for you to live. And he gave them to you so that you would find him. He wants you to find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's the second thing you must know. God wants to have a relationship with you, a personal relationship. Not that God is way out there somewhere and we're sort of ignoring him down here. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. The question is, are you like the wise men of old? Are you seeking him? Many of you can look at your life and say, like the trio in that yacht, I don't have a care in the world. I'm financially secure. I have friends, I own a home, I've got a job, I have a good life. Yes, God is good to you. But deep down, we know that even the best things of life cannot satisfy us internally. The Bible says, or not the Bible, but someone has once said, we were created with a God-shaped vacuum that can only be satisfied by a personal relationship with God. And so I ask you, do you know him? Has he filled that void in your life? Because I know that if you don't know him, you have that void in your life. You know, we boast about our plans, our goals, our aspirations, yet the Bible says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. The Bible says, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then vanishes away. That's something else you must know. Life is short. How many days of the allotment 
that God gave you do you have left? Life is short. Jesus spoke about a wealthy farmer who had no care in the world and had such an enormous yield of crops that he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. The three in that boat that night, they were in the prime of their life. Who could have imagined what would happen to them that night? They didn't expect that at the beginning of the day. You have plans today. I don't know what they are. Who can imagine what may happen to you before the day ends? And I want to ask you, are you ready to meet God? Most people think that when they die, they will go to heaven. If you ask most people, just take a survey anytime you want to. When you die, where do you expect to go? People will tell you, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I think I'm good enough to get to heaven. But I'll tell you this, according to the Bible, our sin will keep us out. What is sin? Sin is anything that falls short of God's perfection. Jesus said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. The Bible says that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we must, we must understand this, that our sin separates us from a relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to be in heaven. You know, as I look out at the world, darkness has descended upon the earth. And ominous storm clouds are gathering all around us. And people sense there is something wrong in the world. It feels like the waves of trouble keep coming. And even the earth is groaning and heaving in various parts of the world. An earthquake early Saturday morning. I have an app on my phone. 3.40 in the morning, it woke me up. My phone was off and yet it rang, telling me that there was an earthquake taking place at that moment. And again, it rattled the nerves of many Bay Area residents once again. This Christmas, we look out at the world, and there is great uncertainty. There are wars and rumors of war. There is saber-rattling of nuclear war. There is deep concern about climate change and um, water rationing and famine, inflation, crime, new strains of COVID, antibiotic-resistant uh, diseases, and our future seems uncertain. And there are plenty of warnings that something is terribly wrong in the world. A storm is brewing, and we are on a sinking ship. But the problem is not just a global storm. 
but the storm of sin that resides in our heart. All have sinned, the scripture says, and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. And when it says that, it doesn't mean that you're going to die physically. We know that's true. But it's really a separation from God for all eternity. The prophet Isaiah said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Bible says that we live in darkness and actively participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. And if you think the sea at night in a storm is black, there is nothing quite as evil as the darkness of the human heart. It is our sin that separates us from God. And in the darkness, we have lost our way. Jesus asked people of his day, Sorry, I'm ahead of myself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I think of the meteorologists who um, warned the boaters that morning of a storm that was coming, and then later of a gale that was on its way. But those warnings were ignored. Jesus asked people of his day, How is it that you can look at the sky and you can see red in the morning and you say, oh, fair weather today? Is it sailors, red red sky in the morning, sailors take warning, red sky at night, sailors delight. I think that's the way the saying goes. And he says, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. How is that? The signs of the time are greater than the signs in the sky. What are the signs? Well, there are storm clouds all around us. And Jesus warned us that there will be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in various places. He predicted that because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus said this, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Friend, we're on a sinking ship, and we're going down with it. And so the question is, will we perish? That's really the question. Will we perish? We know that things are going to get worse. We know ultimately that um, the Lord is coming, but will we perish? Is there no hope at all? It sounds like from the story so far, there's no hope, but there is hope. Just like there was hope for those three people on the yacht, and there is hope for you as well. They saw a light in the distance, and, and it gave them hope, bringing hope of salvation. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There is hope for those in darkness. And if you're in darkness today, there is hope because Jesus is the light. The people who walk in darkness, it says, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The light of the world is Jesus. And we need to be rescued from our sin just like those three needed to be rescued from the water. 
We need someone to deliver us from the death penalty that awaits us for our sins. We need someone to be our Savior. And we cry out, and I want you to cry out if you don't know Him, help, help, Lord, save me. And He will answer that cry. Who can save us? Only the Lord. And He says, there is no other God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. The captain of the ferry saw the boaters in distress and had compassion for them. God saw us in our distress. And the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus is our Savior. And I want to tell you this, that there is no other way of salvation. There is no other way of salvation. The stewards of the ferry tried life buoys, and they failed. Some people say, oh, I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments, and that will get me to heaven. But you will fail. You cannot keep them. Next, the trio attempted to save themselves with flimsy air mattresses in a stormy sea. And the wind and the waves snatched them from their hands. Some people believe they're going to get to heaven clinging to their own goodness. I'm good enough to get to heaven. But I'm telling you, if you read the Scriptures, the wind from the Scriptures will snatch that uh, from your hands. You cannot, to get, you cannot get to heaven by your own goodness because the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is no possible way to save yourself and get safely to heaven without a Savior. You cannot save yourself. The Bible says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. He is our Savior. And that is what Christmas is all about. On that very first Christmas night. Daniel, let's put up the scripture here. On that very first Christmas night, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill. Toward men. There is hope. 
For this good news is for all people. There is hope. Christ the Lord was born to be your Savior. There is hope for you because He came to to bring peace by offering Himself for the forgiveness of your sin. There is hope for you because Jesus came with goodwill toward men. He came to be your Savior. The message of this very first Christmas should bring great joy to your heart, knowing that you're not lost if you trust in the Savior. God wants to show you favor. He did not come to condemn you. He came to save you from your sins. But Jesus didn't come just to be born in a manger and just to live his life and a perfect life at that. No, he came with a purpose, and that purpose was to die on the cross of Calvary for your sins. There was no other way. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You cannot have forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no other Savior. There is no other way of salvation. Jesus is the one who died and was buried and rose again the third day uh, to bring salvation to you. He alone is your Savior. In the Bible, a man cried out to the Apostle Paul and he said, What must I do to be saved? And Paul replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Can it be that simple? Can it be that simple? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I go back to the first story. The man swam, the rescuer, the woman savior, came to her and he said, let go. Trust me. And she had to make a decision that fateful night of either to cling to her air mattress and drown like the other two, or to let go and trust. Could it be that simple? And she did. She trusted him, and he brought her to safety. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. It's that simple. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And if you will trust the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, he will be your Savior today. And today could be the beginning of a third Christmas story, the Christmas story of how you came to know your Savior and he saved your soul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will save you. Jesus is our Savior. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to ask David if he will uh, sing. We're going to sing two songs. I know it's completely different, but we're going to do that. Sing two songs at the end. And um, I just want to encourage you that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have an opportunity today. You don't know what a day will bring forth. Trust Him today to be your Savior. 
be assured of your salvation and a place in heaven for you. Let's pray. Father, as we think of your love for us, we are amazed that you spared not your only son, sent him to this earth as a baby to be born in Bethlehem with the purpose to go all the way to the cross and to suffer and to bleed and to die for payment for our sins that we might forever go free. That he would die uh, for us, Lord, is amazing. We thank you for his death on the cross. We thank you that he was buried, but we thank you that he was raised from the dead and he lives today and he is our Savior. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that still has not trusted you, that today might be the day that they believe on you and trust you as their Savior and Lord. We ask in Jesus' name.